It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Good morning to you. You're welcome along to Monday's Cork Today show. JP in for Patricia until one. And Bernie taking your calls and comments on the phone right now. 0818 103 103. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And ahead on this morning's show, we'll hear an update as you heard there on News with Barry on the mental health unit at Bantry General Hospital at the final hour on Friday. An appeal was put in regarding the mental health unit there and the changes that were due to be made. Anyhow, we'll hear more about that later in the programme. And the cost of living protest was held in the city at the weekend. And as we all know, this is due to the rise in energy costs. But also, we saw then last Friday, uh, the rise in energy profits. And the latest is coming from the ESB group. And uh, as we had huge attendances at the protest last Saturday, another major protest is being planned for Dublin this weekend. And this is a national protest where they're asking people from all all, uh, walks of life and all across uh, the island of Ireland to go uh, to Dublin and join in in this uh, protest. Deputy Mick Barry is one of those organising these protests. He'll join us later in the show. Your viewers are welcome on that and if you were, uh, like so many others, affected by the rising costs of our energy and the Queen's funeral is taking place today in London. We'll be joined by our colleagues in London and Northern Ireland and discussing the lack of GPs in rural areas and how hard it is to access GP services. Is this something you have come across yourself? Because an investigation from the Irish Farmers Journal highlights what people are going through on the ground to gain access. And we're going to speak uh, with the Irish Farmers Journal's health correspondent. That is Margaret Hawkins. And this is something we have come across before the show, somebody moving to a new area or looking to gain access to their own GP and due to the level of demands within GP services and more and more GPs retiring and not a new, not enough new GPs coming to rural areas, you're either ringing your GP and you're waiting for an appointment, you won't get one straight away, you certainly won't get to see a GP uh, all the time straight away unless it's an emergency uh, you won't get to see them that day some people tell us that they're on the phone queuing for a call to be 
answers. Uh, their local clinic is so busy. So we'll hear more about that. But your views are welcome if you're like so many people, it seems these days, waiting or trying to access their own GP. We'll be discussing all things insurance with Paul Kavna of McCarthy Insurances on our Insurance Matters segment later. And one of those that we'll be discussing is something that came up uh, during the, this was the story out of Dublin, whereby a person left a car in their driveway, I think it was, maybe outside their house. Anyhow, they went in and ran in to get something. The car was stolen. But are you covered? What is the situation regarding car insurance? There are laws there about that. But what's the car insurance situation? That and more uh, with Paul Cavanagh later in the programme. And your nutritional questions are welcome across the morning because Annalisa Drizel answers those after 12.30. So that and more to come here on the show between 10 and 1. And as always, your views are welcome on the phone right now. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Uh, but something that made the Sunday Independent yesterday and this is secret emergency plans being prepared by the government which could involve potential rolling power blackouts across this winter and as we discussed that uh, protests on Saturday last in the city centre uh, these contingency plans they would introduce energy shutdowns of up to four hours duration affecting 125,000 households at a time now the Sunday Independent reported this yesterday in a confidential planning exercise that they are calling codename Dara it's being put in place and its industry and state bodies are both examining the consequences of a 20% reduction in energy supplies to the Republic and indeed to the North. And what would happen if this goes ahead? Well, uh, while essential services such as major hospitals and National Guard defence and transport infrastructure would be prioritised, we will see, or we would see anyhow, significant disruption elsewhere. For example, uh, with financial services, we would they would not be protected, so we would not have access to ATM networks. They could be down. Payment systems, if you're trying to pay for something, uh, they would all be down as a result of these blackouts. Post offices in an effective blackout area would not have access to IT systems, so social welfare payments could be paused during blackouts. And schools in affected areas would also lose their power supply, while the ESB networks would be forced to warn vulnerable people, such as those on home dialysis, uh, that they may not have electricity for a certain period of time. And that's something we heard on the show last week from Rory McKenzie, who is on life-saving dialysis and he was telling us why he needs you know obviously why he needs dialysis but also why he needs to know in advance so they can plan their day and that is something now that has been looked at also traffic lights and street lights will be out Gardaí have concerns with this because they feel it could lead to track incidents and also and I suppose this is really going far when they say street lights are out but they're prompting fears of looting and public disorder offences and break-ins due to the dark streets now that's really pushing it out to the extreme but it is something that the Gardaí are worried about. Uh, A spokesperson then for the Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications said that this exercise was simply to test the country's response to an unlikely disruption if Ireland's gas and electricity, electricity supplies were to be disrupted this winter. And this exercise ran on Friday last from 9am to 2pm at the National Emergency Coordination Centre. So that's just something that you know was done, uh, supposed to be on the quiet, but was uh, uh, leaked yesterday in the Sunday Indo. And while those exercises are going on, some will say maybe it's no harm and it's good they are doing that if the situation does arise. Uh, when it looks to the budget and what the government are looking to do to improve everybody's situation going into the winter ahead uh, regarding energy 
Energy. Uh, the government is expected to increase the weekly fuel allowance rate and expand the eligibility criteria in this month's budget, of course, going to be held at the end of September. And this will see many thousands of our hard-pressed households avail of this payment. This is coming from a senior government source uh, who's been attending political correspondence, uh, such as Kira Phelan writing in today's Irish Examiner, uh, that they have signalled the current weekly fuel allowance rate of €33 Euros will increase to €4 Euros to €5, Euros, but have yet to decide if the rise will come into effect before Christmas. And the increase will be likely, if it doesn't come in before Christmas, to come in in January 2023. Now, there'll be a number of strands to the fuel allowance payment, including increasing the weekly rate, uh, probably again from January. And the cost of living measure will see a one-off €100 Euro payment before Christmas. And then when people are asking about the child benefit any changing there well it's understood at this stage that the monthly child benefit rate of 140 euros is unlikely to increase in the budget however there will be a one-off double payment before Christmas included in the cost of living package and regarding then the nuts and bolts of why everybody needs this the electricity and gas well we have seen over the last while how many of our providers have been imposing huge increases and this is in the standing charges during the energy crisis. So it seems some suppliers now, and we've got many calls on this, uh, saying that the actual standing charge, you might use only a fraction of the electricity, but it's the standing charges are making up the high cost of your bill. Some suppliers charge up to €700 Euros in standing charges regardless of how much you are using, as we have heard. This investigation is coming from Bonkers.ie and the Irish Independent as well. And it reveals that uh, many have pushed up, as in many of the energy providers have pushed up their standing charges for residential customers by more than €300. And obviously the consumer advocates are questioning the unfairness of this hike and why they are doing that now. Uh, So, you know, it's not the unit cost of energy that is increasing, it's the standing charge. So if you didn't even use your electricity, you're going to have a high charge. And for those who thought that a new income tax bracket was going to come in and you know, maybe uh, be better off for workers in particular. Well, no, the, that isn't going to happen. This was proposed, wasn't it, by the uh, Tónista, uh, Leif Ragger, that a 30% income bracket would uh, be coming in on the budget. But now it seems that's not going to form part of this year's budget. So just some of the measures that are going to be taken to deal with the cost of living crisis. Your viewers are welcome discussing that shortly on the programme. 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Uh, but we must send the big congratulations because the first ever ordination in the parish church in Newcestown took place yesterday afternoon and Father Ronan Sheen was ordained a priest in St. John the Baptist Church in Newcestown yesterday and uh, huge crowds gathered. It was a huge occasion for the Cork and Ross Diocese, the only ordination this year in that diocese and I saw some of the ordination online yesterday and the family so, so proud of Ronan and indeed the entire community of Newcestown. So Congratulations to him. Uh, it's a huge crowd there attending yesterday. We spoke with him on the show last week, so we wish him the very best. Now, of course, he is uh, Father Ronan Sheehan. And the National Ploughing Championships, they kick off tomorrow. Are you going? Do you attend this? It's a three-day event, and there's going to be a huge uptake this year in visitors. They reckon over 300,000 people will head to Leash because the weather is supposed to be good. Sunshine for most of the week, a bit like today is how the week is going to be. 
Of course, the event again this year uh, is in Rathaniski in County Leash, but it is the first time it's taking place in three years because obviously with the um, COVID lockdowns and pandemic, uh, the annual event was cancelled. So like everything, it's the first time. So best of luck to all there who are heading along. And... Something totally different that I spotted this morning. We always hear these surveys about drinking more coffee or drinking more wine even. Well, this one is a cup of tea and how a cup of tea can be good for you because seemingly drinking four or more cups of tea per day could lower the risk of type 2 diabetes. This research is coming out from the European Association of the Study of Diabetes. They met in Stockholm recently and this is regarding drinking black or green tea And if you do drink uh, black or green tea every day, it was linked to a 17% lower risk of diabetes on an average of 10 years. And drinking between one or three cups a day can cut the risk by 4%. So there you go. If you're on the black tea or the green tea, uh, you could be doing the best for your health and reducing any chance of diabetes. Not too sure now if you uh, drop the milk in there and sugar, is that going to do the best for you? But anyhow, the black and green tea will. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't drink I have drank green tea before. I don't drink black tea. And if I do drink tea early in the morning, there has to be a a few sugars going there to keep us awake. Anyhow, maybe you uh, do have the black tea. If you do, let us know. And if you do, it's all good for you. Health-wise, anyhow, our lines are open. 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Cork today with you on till one. And I mentioned there earlier regarding uh, the energy blackouts that we could be facing this winter and an exercise that was carried out on Friday was kept on the quiet, but there was leaked yesterday in the Sunday Indo. And on this, a texter making a good enough point saying between 1 and 5 and 7 to 11 in the evening, there should be no wastage of electricity as, you know, in the evening time especially, that's where the demand is. But speaking of wastage, this texter says, uh, what a waste of the Celtic Tiger years in this country when we should have been working on hydro and solo and wind power. We did not invest in our country. And also at that time when there was, we were told, money in Ireland, why not invest in light rail. All cities should have this and we should have a better public transport system. So with all the money that was supposedly there in the Celtic Tiger, it seemed no one ever invested it. Thank you for your text on 0862103103 and a WhatsApp in. And this is when I was talking about the tea. And uh, well, it seems drinking four or more cups of tea per day could lower the risk of type 2 diabetes, but it has to be black tea or green tea. And I just made the point to how many people do drink black tea. And I would have tea in the morning, but have to have the drop of milk and then the sugar go in there as well uh, but Jackie on WhatsApp has a point on if you do want to try black tea uh, Jackie good morning John Paul get rid of that sugar add a slice of orange or lime or lemon but orange particularly to your black tea and it makes it much nicer and it might get you used to it enjoy Thank you, Jackie. There you go. If you want to try that, drop a bit of orange into your, or squeeze a bit of orange into your black tea and it might sweeten the taste of it and make us all a bit healthier. Thank you, Jackie. You can uh, send those voice notes via WhatsApp also like Jackie did to 0862 uh, You can always text on that number or call Bernie 0818 103 103. Record today on C103. Call Bernie.
Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. We'll be discussing that cost of living protest that was held in the city very shortly on the programme. A lot of calls and comments coming in on that and we'll get to those. But as I speak, Westminster Abbey in London is filling up with around 2,000 dignitaries, world leaders and selected members of the public ahead of Queen Elizabeth's funeral, which begins in about 30 minutes time. Our sister station, U105, Peter McVerry from U105 joins me on this as it is a state funeral in the UK. It's also a public holiday. Good morning to you, Peter. Morning to you, Jimmy. And thanks for joining us. Uh, first of all, regardless what people make of the monarchy, uh, today it's a moment of history really across the world. It is, absolutely. Well, given that, that, that Queen Elizabeth... Um, was 70 years on the throne and lived until the age of 96. You've listened to a lot of people this morning on some of the national coverage, um, you know, who haven't who haven't lived in anything other than a reign of Queen Elizabeth. So there are so many people, you know, up to up to 70 and above who remember uh, nothing but that. And also then from a, a political and security point of view, it's one of the, the biggest diplomatic occasions that's, that's ever happened. And when you speak about the diplomatic occasion, and there's so many travelling, I mean, the heads of state from nearly all countries across the world are in London today. And from Ireland, we have Antishuk Michal Martin and the President Michael D. Higgins. They're both in attendance representing the Republic of Ireland. And also, obviously enough, representatives from the North will be in London today. Yes, yeah, so the, 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 the Stormont Assembly is being represented by the um, First Minister-designate, the Sinn Féin Deputy Leader, Michelle O'Neill. She's there. The DUP Leader, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, is in attendance as well. The Alliance Party Leader in Northern Ireland's Justice Minister, Naomi Long, is there as well. We have Doug Beatty, who's the Ulster Unionist Leader, who's there. And Colm Eastwood, who's the Leader of the SDLP, will be there, as well as Alex Maskey, who's still the Speaker of the... Um, Stormont Assembly, even though it's not currently sitting because obviously the DUP have refused to, to nominate a speaker, a deputy speaker and a deputy first minister. And looking at the coverage across the weekend, Peter, so many turned out. Indeed, a lot of people flew uh, from Ireland to London and uh, to turn out and show respects to Queen Elizabeth. But the queues was just unreal, something we haven't seen before for any type of occasion. Absolutely, and I know the queues at one point stretched up to 24 and 25 hours there, I think, between Saturday evening and Sunday evening, and I noticed the lady who was the last to pay her respects was on her, her second uh, turnaround that she'd, she'd, she'd paid tribute in Westminster Hall and then gone back around again. And I suppose, JPC say, lots of people from Ireland there, the, the, the situation has moved on, especially since you know, 2011, whenever the Queen visited um, Ireland and she went to the Garden of Remembrance, and laid a wreath there, and then in 2012, you'll remember Sinn Féin boycotted that 2011 visit, and then a year later in 2012, when she came to Belfast, she shook hands with Martin McGuinness at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast. The relationship between Ireland and England seems to have changed over the past number of years, and, and whatever people's feelings are about the monarchy, whether they be sitting in Northern Ireland or sitting in the Republic, you know, there does seem to be an acceptance, if you like, um, across the UK and Ireland, that as an individual, and Queen Elizabeth, especially in the last 20 years, did have peace and reconciliation as, as one of the, the, the key tenets of what she was about. I listened to, to Michael D uh, speaking um, earlier. We, we, we played in U105 some of the tribute that he made across the last few days, and he said that he believed that her efforts were heartfelt and he had the occasion to be in the room with her, both publicly and privately, more than once. And he was very sure that she was she was committed to trying to do all that she could 
um, to ensure that the relationship between Ireland and England was as strong and as positive as it could be for everyone. And I think that's something that's probably being felt now in terms of people feeling that they want to pay their respects. You know, there's a lot of people, including Michelle O'Neill, who's tweeted this morning um, about her attendance at it, um, in order to say, you know, essentially that, that it's not about recognition of the monarchy. For example, Sinn Féin met King Charles last week at Hillsborough and passed on their condolences, a public message of condolence and a private message of condolence. But what they didn't do was attend another event called the the accession, which would be which would be King Charles, if you like, taking the throne and the proclamation of that at Hillsborough Castle. So it's very clear there is a delineation there, JP, between between paying tribute to someone who they believe was committed to peace and reconciliation and, and having any change, if you like, on their view of, of the monarchy. And looking at that moment you mentioned there in Hillsborough and, and the pictures we all saw from Northern Ireland when King Charles did meet Michelle O'Neill and he referred to Sinn Féin being now the biggest party in Northern Ireland and obviously she agreed with him on that. But does it show, because Michael D. Higgins, when he was speaking on The Late Late Show a number of weeks ago, I think it was the, the, the day after the Queen had passed away, he felt that maybe King Charles and the Queen felt why Ireland and England needed to reconcile it and could understand uh, the, I suppose, turbulence past, obviously, but why things needed to move on from that more than the political establishment in London. Uh, would you agree with what he is saying there? And does it take something like a funeral to reconcile the political upheaval we have seen in the last number of weeks and the last number of months due to the protocol in Northern Ireland and, and what we have seen between the UK and the Republic? Well, there is that hope. I think everybody over the last week, the 10 days, JP, has been saying that, that there does seem to be a little bit more music that says that there may be the possibility of trying to find some negotiated, talked out, agreed solution to the to the protocol. Uh, Michal Martin was in a meeting yesterday for 45 minutes with Liz Truss, the, the new Prime Minister uh, in London, because of the... the, the period of mourning that's going on. They're not official bilaterals and they weren't taking pictures, but we do understand from that meeting that they talked about a number of things, especially uh, the protocol, and Liz Truss made it clear that, that she's going to continue with the legislation that's going through the House of Commons, that she is Foreign Secretary pushed through, which would allow the British government and Westminster if you like to, to unilaterally ignore some elements of the Brexit agreement, especially around the Northern Ireland Protocol, but she did say that they were keen to sit down and find a resolution. Uh, the EU and in the form of Maria Tetkovic, have been speaking very recently and saying that they do believe that there's the opportunity to take away, you know, 75 or 80 percent of the checks if people would just sit down and talk. I was at Hillsborough Castle last um, Tuesday for that visit, and, and the, the mood was um, more positive than you might expect in the period of mourning for a monarch. It was much more about welcoming King Charles from Northern Ireland on the on the first occasion that he was there, but listening to the message of condolence that came from Alex Maskey, the Speaker in the House, um, to King Charles and listening to his response. And when they talked about people that had been separated by history, you know, both were very clear in saying that actually they felt there was a, there was a responsibility and an onus and all those involved at the moment to try and move it forward. And you're right, this, this um, there will be a greater understanding in the monarchy. For example, you know, the, the, um, the royal family lost members of the royal family, most notably Lord Mountbatten and Mullock Moore um, during the Troubles. I, I can't think of, there have been, obviously there were attacks from politicians and there was the bombing of, of the Brighton Tory party conference, but I'm trying to think of any of those who are currently in government, if you like, in the UK, who might have been personally impacted or affected by, by having loved ones um, killed or, or injured in it. So there is a, there is a feeling there, um, there is a desire, you'll have seen King Charles as Prince Charles go to Mullockmore in the not too distant past uh, to see the site where his great uncle was killed and there is a feeling that peace and reconciliation is high up um, on their agenda. 
and and Judy actually pointing that out on text just now who says it was clear to see that reconciliation is underway since the death of the Queen but she says like many families it can take a funeral to reconcile hopefully that happens here for the betterment of both our countries both being the UK and indeed Ireland and I'd say many would agree with Judy on that we want to go forward rather than going back um, from a Northern Ireland point of view Peter you know very much two communities still exist within Northern Ireland as you're very aware there was a bit of um, not upheaval but uh, different views here in the Republic when it was announced that flags would be flown at half mast and flags are a very contentious issue always in Northern Ireland uh, what's happening today it is a public holiday are, are some choosing to operate as normal or are many just being respectful some of the vast majority are, are, are being uh, respectful um, the, the service for example is being shown on big screens in, in parks and council areas and in six different towns and cities uh, right across Northern Ireland, as you said, it's a public holiday, so the, the the schools are closed, the public services are closing. In in parts of Derry and West Belfast, for example, in Newry, there are some people maybe who are choosing to stay open. There are some people who are choosing to observe the time of the funeral and maybe will be open until 10 o'clock this morning for people to get supplies and will then maybe open again at 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock. It definitely feels as if, you know, everybody has moved on a little bit and that, you know, it's nowhere near as contentious as it would have been 10 years ago, never mind 20 or... or um, or 30 years ago, JP. So definitely there, 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 there is a, a new era. And interestingly, just when you, uh, I know, for example, there's the debate that's ongoing about whether or not Sinn Féin should they get back into power here in the north when Stroma comes back up and running, and should they have any more success and be able to form a government, for example, in, in, in Doyle going forward. The, the issue of a potential referendum and voting in United Ireland would come onto it. And interestingly, the census in Northern Ireland was conducted last year. The results of it were due to be published tomorrow because of the funeral. That's been delayed until Thursday. But we do understand, for example, that uh, it's likely that the majority, there will be more people in Northern Ireland who have designated as Catholic than Protestant in this census for the first time since partition. Again, there's no automatic that you'll vote along religious lines and there may be Catholics in Northern Ireland who would vote uh, not to enter any, into United Ireland, maybe based on the economics of it or based on, on, on the politics of it. But it does it does feel as if we're you know edging closer to more of a debate. But interestingly, I don't know if you saw it, RTE's former Northern editor, Tommy Gorman, has a, a book that he's publishing. I see he wrote a piece, an extract was ran in some of the Sunday newspapers, and his view was that if vote wasn't, if it was taken across the next 10 years, he didn't think that the, that the consensus would be for United Ireland. But... Um, and I know there's an event happening in Dublin at the start of October. Ireland's future are organising a major discussion. It does feel as if the discussion of it is coming more on the radar. And I think what a lot of people have said is actually, up until now, it's only been an aspirational political discussion and no one has ever had the, the chance to sit down and talk through you know, the economics or the logistics of it to say, well, actually, I'd be in favour of it for this reason or against it, for this reason, rather than whether or not your allegiance is to London or Dublin. Yeah, and the census, as you mentioned, when it does come out, that'll be the talking and focus point uh, this week uh, because that is the next kind of question now, I suppose, where things go from here for the union. Many in the UK feel that, you know, this could be the challenge uh, to King Charles for the Commonwealth. Many countries want, may want to leave and, and then the union itself. And we've seen so much upheaval since Brexit on that as well. Uh, for the moment, Peter, as we know, Heathrow Airport is stopping flights today. So for a very busy city that London is, it's going to fall silent for uh, the majority of this morning anyhow and for the moment thank you for joining us uh, on the programme No problem JP Thank you that is uh, Peter McVerry there joining us from our sister station U105 on the uh,
burial today of Queen Elizabeth in London. I suppose one of the biggest uh, moments in history that we have seen in the last while. Our lines are open 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The cost of living though is the main feature uh, across the weekend here in Cork and many people are looking towards the winter but also looking at the energy profits uh, from our energy suppliers and as the cost of living increases so do their profits. Discussing that next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. Cost of living protests are taking place across the country. One was held on Saturday afternoon last in the city centre. And the Cost of Coalition, they're calling on people to take to the streets. Well, I'm joined by Socialist Deputy McBarry of Cork North Central, also part of the Cost of Living campaigns organising protests. Good morning to you, Mick. Morning to you, JP. Now, we saw the ESB group announce massive profits last Friday. And while there is talks of a windfall tax, are these protests to highlight the anger that is out there similar to the water protests we had a number of years ago? Yes, well, we we had um, 5,000 people on the streets of Cork this Saturday. So certainly it was the largest protest seen in the city since the water charges. I don't think they're on the same size and scale as the water charge protest uh, at this stage. Uh, I hope that they uh, do reach that level uh, over the weekend but, or over the, uh, over the winter, sorry. But uh, um, I, I, I do feel that the anger of the people and the demonstrations are um, putting some pressure on the government uh, in the run-up to the budget, and we hope that that increases uh, at the big national one on Saturday. And do you think, Mick, that taking to the streets, will that actually make a difference? Yes, I think it does. I mean, you've already mentioned in this interview the water charges. um, And it was a combination of the mass street protests and the active campaign of non-payment, which forced the government to back down on that issue several years ago. Um, Of course, this is a more difficult issue. Um, The cost of living issue is... Um, you know, on a far bigger scale um, and there's international factors too. Um, but um, put it this way, if if people don't raise their voice, um, they're just going to walk on us. Um, uh, whereas if we push back and raise our voices, uh, then at least we have a chance of having some effect. And many will say, you know, the energy companies, we are aware things would increase and so are their profits increasing. So is the protest more against inflation? Because some economists are saying inflation is across the world and while people have a right to protest, will it change anything? What are your views on on some of those commentators that are saying that? Well, I think a big feature of the protest on Saturday uh, was opposition to profiteering. Um, The government would like to put this... Uh, all down to the COVID pandemic and to um, what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, and while there's no doubt that the the murderous invasion of Ukraine by the, the Putin regime uh, has is, is, is a big factor here, um, we're not blind. We can see the profiteering going on all around us. In energy, um, SSE, Artricity's parent, made more than a billion pound profit last year. The ESB is making two million euro a day. Now, if the government think that people are going to sit back um, and allow themselves freeze in their homes this winter, struggle to put food on the table for their kids, while this kind of profiteering is going on, 
then I think they have another thing coming. And you mentioned there about the various companies and a lot of people saying that Ukraine and what's happening in Ukraine is causing uh, the energy prices to increase. Do you feel, because I spoke to many business people over the last number of weeks who have seen an increase in their bills and they feel using Ukraine is just an excuse. Well, I mean, look, there's there's no doubt that what is happening in, in Ukraine is an important factor here. Um, but at the same time, there is massive profiteering uh, going on um, by companies that are based in this country or companies uh, who are based in this country and have parent companies uh, in the UK. I mean, to give another example, Tesco, they don't release their profit figures for the Republic of Ireland. They mix in the Republic of Ireland with the UK. But Tesco made £2.6 billion profit last year um it costs 20,000 uh, euro to uh, rent a house in cork these days uh, i don't think uh, too many of those landlords are russian <laughs> the big landlords are are uh, our own homegrown fat cats who are absolutely coining it uh, thanks to the housing policy of a government which itself is stuffed to the gills full of landlords so they can't put all the blame on on what's happening in ukraine there's other factors at play here too and would you call like so many others are calling for that the energy sector here in ireland know that it should be fully nationalized even though you know many will say it's a free market but is the free market make, making the rich richer the free market uh, is rake, making the rich richer uh, and it's not all that free when you have um boards of companies made up of small numbers of people making decisions which impact the lives of millions of ordinary people. So yes, I would endorse the call uh, for the nationalization of the energy industry, but I would go one step further and say that it needs to uh, have uh, be under the control and the management uh, of the ordinary people, the customers and the workers themselves, because the ESB is a state company. ESB, 95% of the shares is owned are, are owned by the government. Um, I think we can put the government under massive pressure to freeze those prices. Uh, but we need an ESB that works for the people, not against the people. And while the government will say they're doing their best and in the budget they're hoping to have uh, credits like we saw earlier this year applied to energy bills and the talk so far is that maybe they will be 200 euro credits again and I know other parties are calling for caps which will still I suppose come from the same pot as giving the credits. Are you happy with those moves? Credits aren't going to cut it. What we need to have is a freeze on those electricity and gas prices. And more than that, on food and rent uh, as well, we need real price controls. Um, And I think linked to that, uh, we need to take um, industries into public ownership so as they're run for the interest of people rather than for the interests of those whose job is to maximise profits for for shareholders. So no, I don't think that energy credits... Uh, go far enough. I think we need price caps and I think that we also need nationalisations. And look at the costings of that then, I mean would would Ireland as a government, would they be able to afford to do this? Well, bonkers.ie have reckoned that um, the price caps um, if they were to be 
go back to the, the prices last year would be just over four billion. So you are looking at large sums of money there, no question about that. But um, as I, I put it to another member of your profession on Saturday, that if you had a millionaire's tax in this country and you levied a 2% uh, tax on the incomes of people who own more than a million, uh, leave them have a million for their their, 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 their their primary residence, but their wealth over and above that, you would raise more than five billion. Um, so there is vast wealth in this country uh, with corporate profits and um, individual wealth of millionaires and billionaires. Uh, we need to go after that wealth. It, it's if, if you have a choice between protecting the interests of the majority of people who are being threatened with being frozen and not having enough food this winter and the, the super wealth of a tiny minority, there's no question as to where the priority should lie. And there's a lot of text in from people who are giving their own story and many were there on Saturday and I'll get to those after 11. Uh, another protest, a national one in Dublin this coming Saturday. Mick, what time does that start off in Dublin at? Uh, it's assembling at uh, 2.30pm uh, at uh, Parnell Square and we'll march through uh, O'Connell Street uh, and the key streets of, uh, of Dublin. Um, I think that, um, you know, this protest is taking place three days before the budget, so it is an important protest. I would encourage people to go if, if, if at all possible. But there will be further uh, actions taking place uh, in Cork City and County November the 12th, which is just after the date when the uh, electricity and gas bills would be due, uh, would have fallen for most people, has been penciled in for a date for a major street demonstration in Cork. But there will be stuff happening in the meantime and we'll keep you posted. And are you hopeful that over the next number of months, like as I mentioned at the start with the water protest, that these will grow and grow and eventually, like we saw with water, uh, that the government will listen and that change will eventually happen? Well, I have no faith in this government. Uh, this government is a right-wing government led by Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens in there as well. Uh, and they are wedded to the capitalist market, which is the root cause of the problem here uh, and the profiteering. But I think they can be put under pressure to make uh, some changes. It would make a, a big help for this campaign if um, the trade union movement uh, were to pitch in and put their weight uh, behind uh, a real cost of living campaign. That would be a big uh, assist. The government are trying to cut the wages of the lowest paid in the country. They're trying to uh, cut the minimum wage. Yes, it's an increase, but it's less than the rate of inflation. So it's effectively a cut. And they're doing the same with public sector workers, um, including people who are the heroes and heroines of the pandemic, like our health service workers and our nurses. And were they not there on, um, on Saturday? Did I not see Forza um, out on Saturday protesting as well in the streets of Cork? Yes, the Cork Council Trade Unions asked all their uh, affiliated unions to join the protest and there were union banners uh, on the march. But there are half a million trade union members in this country and the trade union leaders, uh, if they were to say, we're not going to accept uh, pay cuts uh, of the minimum wage and the public sector workers and we will run a major campaign to try and persuade the majority of our members to come out onto the street the, the, the streets and to ballot for industrial action uh, if the government persists in trying to cut workers pay 
that would be a huge assist and that's an important call out that we're making Okay well Mick I'll have to leave it there but uh, thank you for joining us uh, this morning on the uh, constant living and the protests again uh, ahead on this coming Saturday in Dublin that is the Cork North Central Socialist Deputy Mick Barry It's JP in for Patricia until one with Cork Today Bernie taking your comments on the phone 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 ahead on the programme we'll be discussing the lack of GPs in rural areas and how hard it is to access GP services and also discussing all things insurance Paul Kavanagh from McCarthy Insurances on our Insurance Matters segment and I have a few questions coming in for Paul so if you have a question for him get it in nice and early and we can put it to Paul uh, before midday he'll join us after 11.30 but beforehand a lot of comments in on various issues we have been discussing on the programme and the majority to do with something that's affecting all of us and this is the cost of living and the protest that was held last Saturday in the city centre due to the rise in energy costs but also the rise in energy profits as we saw last week the latest coming from the ESB group and another major protest is being planned this weekend it's going to be a national protest in Dublin and they're hoping for a huge attendance on this just to drive the message home that people are finding it tough to deal with all the increases we are facing when it comes to energy electricity and gas mainly of what else will hit over the next few months but Eddie in Mahan was at the march on Saturday and he said yes it was a great turnout and everybody that turned up should be thanked but he said it was sad to see only two public representatives at this event. McBarry who spoke was one of them and also another person from Sinn Féin uh, but he was guessing the rest of our councillors that they would be there but he didn't spot them so I'm not too sure now maybe some were there and you didn't see them and maybe others weren't I'm not sure Eddie is asking are they all too busy to attend are they all packing their cases for their junkish halfway around the world today that says Eddie from Mahan on text to 0862103103 well maybe you're one of the councillors who were uh, there at the protest and did attend and you can let us know and another listener asking it's amazing how Sapone Gate and the controversy about the carbon tax back in May and now the TDs a huge increase in pay how all of this is brushed aside and forgotten about it's amazing how the public psyche works uh, says a listener on WhatsApp and just talking about the cost of living and what people are going through here are some examples uh, from people who have been in touch with us first of all a person who is aware of a lady in her 70s who was buying bottled water first of all and I'm not too sure why she was buying bottled water but she bought a number of bottles of water and also then she purchased a number of thermals to stay warm and she used this you know the solar lights that you would have in your garden they come out at night time and brighten up the garden she brings them in at night time into her home to light her home to save electricity so the thermals to stay warm the solar lights in the house to save the electricity you know, that is a good idea but if you're doing that this person is doing that because they simply cannot afford and fear the next bill uh, coming in so uh, you know that's the reality of what is happening in this country for so many and another person here from Dunmanway who got their electricity bill last week they're with Electric Ireland and the bill was over 250 euros they always around this time of the year would have a bill of around 180 euros so a substantial increase for someone who is used to budgeting maybe for that type of bill around this time of the year 
And their message, they say, about time we started protests nationwide and say enough is enough. Also, get a petition done and get everyone to sign it against these increasing costs in energy. And somebody else on WhatsApp saying the cost of living has just gone out of control. Enough is enough. Yes, I agree. Petition and protest will have to take place so they will listen to us. We cannot go on with this level of the high cost of living here. Uh, Power to the people and power that never ends and somebody else is commenting about what McBarry said about, about uh, capitalism and uh, they agree they say it's in full flow in uh, this country and just mentioning the ESB uh, Pat is inclined he's an ex-ESB employee he says there are more companies supplying electricity the other companies will not be caught back in the 80s the ESB was the only provider um, well the ESB have come out the reason people are mentioning them so much today is because last Friday evening uh, they released their profits and I saw a huge increase in the profits from Electric Ireland and that's why they're being mentioned but other companies as McBarry mentioned there SSE uh, Airtricity uh, are mentioned Borgosh also were out uh, a few weeks ago with their high profits so the other companies have indeed you know been mentioned it's just that I suppose that the, the, the last company out was ESB Group and they made a profit after tax of 390 million euros and that was just for the first half of this year uh, that's up from 128 8 million euros from the same period last year so uh, they're just the latest company so if you're hearing them a lot that's the reason why the other companies have been mentioned across the last month uh, and you would have heard McBarry reference that there in the interview and just staying with the cost of living uh, this is Jake who says he's a student he is now renting a house sharing with five people uh, they dread their first bill even though they'll be dividing the bill by five their students they only work weekends they find it hard enough as it is and their rent is extremely expensive so working part time uh, being a student full time and paying high High rent is a worry for many students this coming year because some of us have no choice but to rent in the city. We live too far away or are from uh, too far away from Cork uh, to commute up and down from our home places. Uh, Jake showing the reality for students who will be also paying the high cost of energy. And we were joined earlier by Peter McVerry from our sister station U105 as underway at the moment now in Westminster Abbey is the funeral for Queen Elizabeth in London and a number of comments on this first of all Pat saying good morning John Paul whatever we look at the death of the Queen God rest her at a time where there is so much poverty in England and Wales one would have to say that a funeral like this is totally overdone and we have never seen the like of it says Pat while Mike saying hi JP it was great to hear of so many Cork people who have travelled to London in the last few days to pay their respects to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II says Mike let's hope King Charles will visit Ireland soon and continue to build bridges between the communities north, south, east and west we have had enough bloodshed on this island of ours in recent years it's time for healing how now and how many other nations and peoples uh, share so much in common because our nations and peoples do and we can show an example to those across the world says Mike on text 0862103103 and then something that you more likely did see online if you were online over the weekends and this is uh, Jane asking this regarding a situation where people were jumping the queue 
when they were going to pay their marks of respect for Queen Elizabeth, who was lying in state. And two people uh, that I've been mentioned across the weekend are the ITV presenters, Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. Now, they have come out and said, and ITV have insisted that because the pair faced a huge backlash at the weekend. I mean, it was everywhere online, no matter what you went on, you just saw this jumping out at you. Uh, Both of them, by the way, present this morning, uh, which is a morning show on ITV. They insist they did not jump the queue, uh, that they were filming inside Westminster Hall and they were wearing the lanyards showing VIP, but it was because they were working. Now, David Beckham, who, along many others, he queued uh, with the public for 13 hours, but it seems that Philip and Holly they bypassed this queue and they were shown straight into the hall and when the cameras were just showing people walking in and there is live streams all over the net showing you know this 24-7 uh, people said you can see them that they just walked on and avoided the queue on social media then uh, Schofield's adverts he does uh, an advert in the UK for a company that are called WeBuyAnyCar.com if you watch UK TV I'm sure you'll see the advert popping up well they were changed online to read WeJumpAnyQ.com So it really did make for entertainment across the weekend. Anyhow, ITV clarified that they were filming this for Tuesday's programme, that they did not skip the queue and it was all part of their work. But a number of people were saying that, you know, they're presenters, they're not journalists and they did skip the queue. Uh, So that debate will roll on and roll on. There's calls now for them to be sacked and everything online, but I suppose online is always a bit different than what's in reality. Anyhow, uh, thank you to Jane pointing that out and asking about what people's views were on that. Uh, skipping queues I suppose wherever somebody skips a queues there is always a problem regardless what it's for and uh, when I spoke with Peter McFerry also regarding Northern Ireland he did mention a census that is due out on Wednesday now and it's going to show for the first time in a long time uh, of a higher Catholic population in Northern Ireland well Jamie is asking as we did touch on it that it you know could lead to a reality of talks now regarding the just being a memory a reality of talks for a reunited Ireland Uh, Jamie says if Ireland unites how then will this work for example the health service how do they merge the NHS with the HSE Uh, Jamie also asks does the BBC does it just close down in the north and what about the roads the councils pensions for the public servants there is a lot more to reuniting a country than just saying we're all the one Uh, there's a huge divide not only within the people but within the services and how will they work all that out Jamie I've asked that question a few times to various politicians and no one has given me a straight answer be that politicians here in Ireland or indeed politicians in Northern Ireland or indeed politicians in the UK Uh, it's something they will have to work on if this does happen uh, but how they work I mean it's it's going to take a lot of time and something that won't happen overnight and will take a number of years to uh, divide if depending on what way it goes anyhow Jamie thank you for your call to 0818 103 103 or you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 you're finding it tough to access your own GP or maybe if you ring you're in a call queue we'll, we'll discuss that next C103 Jobs and on today's jobs blush, we have vacancies for an apprentice carpenters. They are wanted for roofing, first and second, second fixed carpentry. Uh, your own transport is essential. And this is in the Bandon, McCroom and Dunmanway areas. You can email brendanjpomahony at gmail.com or call 086 815 8094. 
A relief milker is needed for a herd of 100 cows in the Rylan area. Call 086 319 3651. And a cleaner is wanted for 15 hours per week work in Boherbui Comprehensive School. You can send your CV and a letter of application to the Secretary Board of Management at Boherbui Comprehensive School in Boherbui. And you'll find all these details and much more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. With your comment. We are very aware of how hard it is getting access to GPs in rural Cork and indeed in city suburbs due to the lack of GPs in the area. Well, the Irish Farmers Journal Irish Country Living is featuring the issue in a four-part series and it seems if you're going to be sick out of hours, be a cow. Health correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal is Margaret Hawkins and she joins me. Good morning to you, Margaret. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. That headline about being a cow, it kind of sums up uh, the way things are at the moment because you can get a vet, uh, but you can't get a doctor. And something you've been hearing from speaking with farmers over the last number of weeks on this. It comes up so often as in, you know, you get a vet quicker, you need a doctor and it takes a while. You're told it could be a couple of days and that's, you know, difficult for people who are in in um, medical situations and so on. But the the um, I suppose it's something that vets are accessible easily and it's you, you kind of expect as a human being that the same will happen. But unfortunately, in this, these challenging times, there aren't enough GPs to go around and rural Ireland is particularly affected. So that makes it extra difficult for people who are in rural Ireland. And many people, even during the day when they're trying to call their GPs to make an appointment, they won't get an appointment that day. And also many have been telling you that when they ring, they're in a call queue and they could be waiting for a few minutes to even get to speak to a receptionist. The clinics are so busy. Yes, I came across one person who said she was on hold for about an hour and a half. She was told she was 16th in the queue. So she had to wait her turn, a very busy practice with nine doctors. But that does happen and I've experienced it myself. You know, there is a long wait. That And if you want an appointment, you know, you're told that actually, you know, it's it'll be a couple of days or it could be a couple of weeks, depending on what's wrong. I do know that, that staff on, on the switchboards are very sensitive to people's emotional state or needs and are very good at picking up on, gosh, this person is in pain and... There are always a few slots in the day left by the doctors for people for you know who need to see a, a doctor when it's an acute situation. But there is that that delay trying to get a doctor, and also the difficulty when doctors retire in rural Ireland of being able to register with another doctor. You know that causes stress, especially for elderly people, um, when you can't say well oh gosh, my doctor's retiring and about 700 GPs are due to require, retire in the next six years, if you don't mind. Um, so there are going to be lots of people who are in need of a new GP to being able to register. And the stress of not being able to do that, to find somebody to take them on, that's there too. So it's, um, there's several, diff- several different, different variables in it at the moment. 
And you mentioned there the amount of GPs that are due to retire. I mean, that's a generational thing. So we will see a lot going together. But it's trying to get younger doctors to move to a rural area. First of all, there's the, you know, the moving out of cities if someone like the city lifestyle and move to a rural area. But then if they do, they take on a huge workload, maybe more than an urban area. They do. You know, it's the isolation and it's really the workload that's involved for a GP who's working on their own, maybe have a big area. And the GMS, the General Medical Services contract, the medical card contract, that in, uh, involves the GP being responsible for their list of patients 365 days a year and 24 hours a day. So either they have to be there all the time or have somebody else standing in in order to to look after their patients. So that's a huge thing for a solo GP um, to have to take on and trying to get time off to go to family for study reasons for a holiday. I spoke to one GP who hadn't been able to get away for three years until just last month. So that's the reality for many that the locums, you know, the stand-in doctors aren't available or are very expensive as well. But the whole thing is shortage and it is really leading to burnout. But in this week, this week's paper, I've been looking at the patient's perspectives and all those things where you can't get an appointment when you want it, if you have a sick child or so on, and you go to A&E because you can't get the GP appointment. Next week, I'll be looking at the children, or the, beg your pardon, the doctor's perspective, um, just for, to get their point of view. And after that, trying to sort out some solutions and get response to that. And you mentioned there on the patient stories and those who are going to A&E. I mean, we're always told by uh, the HSC and the Department of Health not to go to A&E unless it's absolutely necessary. But I was interested in reading Anne's story, who you spoke with uh, during the week, who you describe as a rural mother of two. And she had no choice but to go along to A&E because she just could not get an appointment with her own GP. Her child had croup and you know how distressing that can be. Yeah. Just listening to a child with that is terrible. But she was there. She rang her GP at about two o'clock and she was told that there were no appointments, emergency or otherwise. So she was given the option of waiting until the out-of-hour system kicked in at six o'clock or going to A&E. So she obviously chose to do that and felt that she shouldn't have had to do that, you know. Um, But when she went to the A&E, you know, she was told that this happens very often. But... It, she was, it wasn't that she was blaming the GP. She knows they're under a lot of pressure. But as a parent, it is very stressful. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In that situation. Totally. And again, you're, you know, you're in that situation. You're seeing your child very sick and you also don't want to go to A&E because we're told so much but you've no choice I mean she literally had no choice but to go because she, she yeah. wasn't aware of what would happen to her child you know we're not medics so we, we rely on them to tell us uh, no. so you can see the, the frustration in someone in that situation and I mean something that came up on the show last Friday uh, that we were discussing here Margaret was the importance I suppose it shows the importance of rural GPs because we had two callers on uh, and they were telling us how they went to their GP but their own GP spotted a problem with them so while they went in for one uh, ailment their GP said oh what's this or why is this sore and both callers were diagnosed with cancer but because it was an early diagnosis they're doing well but doesn't that show the necessity of going along to your GP and having access to a GP I mean if they didn't have access or did not go along uh, they could be in a different situation now Yeah no early early detection of illness is so important and making a routine of having your checkups. Sometimes if you're trying to get an appointment for a checkup, you could be told it could be a couple of weeks, but make sure you make the appointment and that you attend. Because sometimes doctors, in fairness to them, they get people who don't turn up. Um, what the, they're called DNA patients um, do not do not appear patients. So that's not fair either. So get your checkups done and just make sure that everything is okay. And if you, you know, keep trying, if you need an appointment with the doctor, keep trying. But also, if you are in pain and in, you know, trouble, some um, secretaries would say to you, you know, that you tell the tell the person on the phone that really you need to see a doctor. Because some people might be that bit shy, maybe not used to, to speaking to people, sorry, speaking to people on the phone you know, that they uh, may be a bit apprehensive. But the secretaries on the switchboard, our medical secretaries are really used to kind of picking up on people's voices, the tone and everything, and will ask you if you're in trouble and you'd say, yes, I'm in pain. And you'll get an appointment, I hope, quicker than, you know, than if it was for something like a checkup. Checkups are important too, but there's the acute stage if you need attention immediately. So it's, it's um, I suppose we all have to take, be a little bit assertive and, and take responsibility and do the best we can to get the care we need. Very true. And as you mentioned, the feature will run over the next three weeks in the Irish Country Living uh, pullout within the Farmer's Journal. And you're going to hear about those solutions. I presume some of the solutions, Margaret, will be getting doctors to work in Ireland, maybe doctors abroad to move here. Uh, but the conditions will be the focus point on that, as many feel the conditions yeah. here aren't good enough. There's a bit of a hemorrhage with doctors newly qualified, and I believe it's because their experience, you know, in their training, GPs have to train in hospitals. And that sort of experience puts them off a bit, you know, the long hours. They don't get maybe paid properly or on time. And they want to go abroad. And in a lot of cases in the past, people will go abroad for experience, but they come back. You know, they've settled down into being GPs here. 
But, you know, when the conditions are better somewhere else, that may or may not happen, which would be a huge loss to us, you know, as a country. So it's 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 really important that the, the conditions be good for doctors and that we train enough and so on. But I'll be looking at the doctors' perspectives next week about all the, the things that they think that are their experience of what they're going through at the moment in relation to burnout and so on, and um, talk about what they think and what various organisations think are the solutions the following week. Well, well done. It's a great insight to what is actually happening on the ground and able to, you know, get to hear from people who are in that situation. And this is one from Dennis who was texting. Uh, he is with his GP who is retiring, but they're trying to move him to a new GP. His fear is at the moment there's none in the area. So if they can't allocate one, uh, he may have to find his own. But he says that's going to take some time because many are not accepting new patients. I mean, that that, that is a worry for so many people. That is indeed that's a huge worry and that's why we need to train more doctors, we need more doctors, entice more doctors to work here and so on. So it's, it's a general stress for, for many, many people. But I hope that this series anyway is a good snapshot in 2022 of where our rural um, primary care system is at. It is, and you know, it's a worry at the moment when you look at it going for the future. And if they can get those GPs and new doctors in, fine. But if they cannot, then they have a a struggle ahead for the next few years ahead. For the moment, Margaret, thanks for joining us this morning. Knowledge is power. Yeah. The more you know, you know, you can set about fixing things as best you can. So that's the that's the aim anyway. That's true. Well, it gives it gives them the knowledge there of what you've done. So hopefully, it plans for their future planning. Uh, Thank you, Margaret, for joining us this morning on the program. Uh, And uh, as I say, hopefully, we'll see some uh, positivity coming out of these reports. The next one next week in the Farmers Journal. That is Margaret Hawkins there, who's the health uh, correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. And like Dennis and his story there, were you affected, or are you affected by the changing nature of GP services? Is your GP uh, deciding to retire soon, and is it up to you to find a new one, or are you being allocated a GP? Are you finding it tough then to move practice? Uh, let us know. Uh, Bernie taking those uh, calls on 0818 103 103, or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. On the way next, we're discussing all things insurance. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And now it's time for Insurance Matters as we are joined by Paul Kavanagh from McCarthy Insurance Group. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. Now, since we last spoke, we had a number of news stories that contained references to insurance. So we have received some questions from listeners on these polls. And the first one, it's relation to car insurance. And this is something that I think there's a law regarding this, but from an insurance point of view, it might be quite different. So first of all, uh, for many of us, maybe Paul, I'm sure you might have done this yourself during the winter months in particular, if it's a frosty morning and you go out to your car and then you start up to clear the frost and the ice off the windscreen many people will leave the car running run back into the house and get something or maybe get some more hot water Uh, in a news story case it was someone leaving the car running and just running in to grab something in the house but the question is if your car is in the driveway of your own home and the engine is running are you covered and then the second question is if your car is in the street are you covered makes no difference, uh, John Paul, where your vehicle is kept or left? Uh, the answer is no. 
you cannot leave your car unattended with the door open and the engine running. It's it's just not covered by any insurance company. And actually, you may recall a certain insurance company had an ad that depicted something like this a number of years back and they had to take it down because um, it's just not covered. No way. You must take all reasonable precautions and that includes not leaving your keys under the wheel arch for your partner to collect. We've had a number of claims like that. Well, I left the, the car in the car park and I put the keys up under the wheel arch on the wheel and the car was stolen. Not covered. Uh, another one is that if you leave the keys in the glove compartment or under the mat or wherever, you must take all reasonable precautions. And um, th- we have had a number of them uh, in the past few years where people have gone in to, uh, as you say, get more water or whatever. They've forgotten something and they have the car running uh, and the car is stolen. Uh, so that is not covered. And what if, for example, I know many of the modern cars do lock after a certain amount of seconds or minutes, but if you do walk away from your car and you don't lock it and you have the keys maybe with you in the house, but your car is unlocked and someone does decide to either damage something in the car or take something, is that not covered also? Yeah, well, there are a couple of different, with the new modern cars, there are a couple of things. Actually, my own car, uh, and I discovered this myself uh, where I had a friend of mine w- was driving the car and I had the keys in my pocket. I got out of the car, he drove off and he didn't discover that there was a locking mechanism until he arrived at the petrol station, stopped the car, got out and then discovered he couldn't restart it. That's that's an anti-theft device that's fitted in some cars. And he had to contact me then to get the keys from me, to get the car going again. So... Uh, if he had crashed that car or knocked somebody down, I would have been in serious trouble. Yeah, because there was no way of the car. Was it because the key was with you and you had to be a certain metre from the car? Is that the way it worked? That's the way it is to start it, but not necessarily it'll stay running. Some of them, now they're not all the same, some of them will keep running until you actually stop the car. Okay, so if anything did happen, he'd have been left on the side of the road, basically. He was. He was very, very <laughs> lucky. That some very nice gentleman in the petrol station. He he said to him, "Look, I'm stuck, and I don't know where I am. And can you help me?" And the guy helped him out in fairness and, and brought him to me. <laughs> okay, so that's a word of warning for somebody outside of the holding. Like, I think <laughs> the major thing, and I've come across it down through the years. Don't let your car unattended. That's basically what it is. Lock your car. I see people leaving their cars open even while they're going into a shop. Sure, whatever you have in the car could be taken. You don't know. So, uh, and if you have um, valuables, please put them in the boot, the locked boot. That's what they say. When you go to make a claim afterwards, say for laptops or anything like that, don't let, and don't let valuables, and we're coming up to Christmas now shortly, and people will be doing their Christmas shopping, and we get a spate of problems at Christmas where people leave their Christmas presents up in the back window or the back seat, and next thing they come back to their car and they're gone. Well, the the um, the parking station, have, will, as you will see from their signs, are, they have the signs up everywhere, we are not responsible for your car. 
Yeah, and then that leads to your insurance not being covered. So be careful of that. And again, it doesn't make a difference where your car is parked, whether it's in your housing estate, in your driveway or on the street, you're not covered if, if that is the, the situation you were in. And Absolutely. Paul... John Paul, just before we move from that, yeah. and I see people doing this, as you said to me, do we do it ourselves? I suppose we learn as as we go. But I, I actually corrected a gentleman uh, in, in, in the petrol station only only the other day uh, who... who had filled up, and next thing he had, he he started his engine, and next thing he must have forgotten something, his card or whatever, in the petrol station. And I saw him taking off. I said, "Hey, are you, where are you going? Don't let your car running, mate, because you someone could easily just take off in it. Yeah, jump in and drive off. Yes, and that happens. No, it, it's it, I, I've heard of cases of it. Thankfully, I've never dealt with it with any of our clients. Okay, with a word of warning there from the insurance point of view on leaving your car running when you're not in it. Uh, Something else we got, and this was, Paul, to do with the the heat wave we had recently. And it came in from a listener who discovered a leak in their oil tank and they started questioning this and realised that from the company point of view where they bought it, there was no comeback, that there was a a 10-year guarantee, the tank was over 10 years and they had no comeback from the, the purchaser. But from their home insurance, if there is, a crack in your oil tank and the oil starts leaking out and this this could be due to uh, weather uh, related issues like a heat wave are you covered under home insurance yes yes you are under most policies not every policy there's a few insurers that don't cover it what i want to explain here again is the spillage is the more costly item would you believe that so i i actually topped up my tank only the week before last so I now know the value of oil. A fill of oil in a 1,000-litre tank is now hovering around €1,500. Euros. That's a serious commodity now, the oil is. It's a huge so amount. You need to protect your tank, right? We'll come to the thieves in a second. But your own tank, inspect your tank. If you think your oil is leaking, then you need a new tank because you've got a, the tank... You can actually buy, and I see them uh, advertised on Dundeal and uh, on Facebook there nightly now at this stage because a lot of people have taken out oil and replaced it with uh, the new um, heat pumps and all this type of thing. So there are tanks available, very, very cheap. I've seen actually tanks being given away for free. I'm not an expert on tanks. Get a plumber to have a look at the tank if you're buying a tank, if you're buying a second-hand tank. But if you discover a crack in the tank, it's not a DIY job. It's not a bit of tape or a bit of mastic or, or, or whatever silicon on the crack. That's not it. If an oil tank starts to leak, and the plastic ones do leak as well as the metal ones, then get it replaced because the, the value of the commodity inside in it is now, as we know, if it's full, 1500 euros but the most important thing is if it starts leaking you will never get rid of the smell it's very messy it's very costly as well but the environmental impact that oil can have in the soil of your house your 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 garden your neighbor's garden it's it's a never-ending problem you will never get the smell of oil out it's it's an awful experience to have uh, and so if, if you discover a crack in your tank, get it replaced now. Either get a new one or if you see a second-hand one, get it checked by a plumber before you put it in. But don't do any DIYs on those, please. 
And when you mentioned there about it being covered on some home insurance policies, I would presume that if you were renewing your home insurance to check that with the insurer or your broker? Well, absolutely. Uh, and and comes back to the same point I keep ma- making. Your local insurance broker will advise you on all these. The same advice as I'm giving now to your questions. Ask the questions. Do not assume anything. And when you mentioned the spillage there and the, the damage that can cause, would that also be covered within... The, the the home insurance if it is under home insurance coverage yeah, as 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 i said not in all situations we've come across a few insurers who do not who sorry it's not that they do not they have very limited cover of say in one in particular i think of is only 2000 euros and we've pointed it out to them and said we can't sell your policy because it does, that's oh that's a very that, that doesn't happen mm. it does happen we've had several claims uh, last year uh, we had one pr- particular one in, uh, in the North Kerry, uh, North sorry, North Cork uh, dash Tipperary border, and it it, it just under a hundred thousand euro. It, it gets into the water source. It gets into it gets into the soil, and then you have to bring in these environmental specialists to get all the soil taken out and replaced. And that's hoping, fingers crossed, that there's no serious damage done to a river, a stream, or a water source. And if there was damage done, would that be covered under the home insurance? It, it would be, but it once would. again, I'm, I'm saying there are some insurers and very prominent insurers do not cover it. So get it if you've got oil, get it checked. Well, that's worth checking out and make sure you check that on your home insurance. Uh, very finally, Paul, before I let you go, a text in here. This uh, lady's husband was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea. She wants to know, will this affect his car insurance? heard of sleep apnea mm. but I, I didn't think it was anything to do with your normal day-to-day um, physicality but if, if this listener is worried or any listener is worried by anything like that that's the time that you need to speak to your doctor and say to your doctor am I is my partner are they okay to drive do you, are you passing them to drive the vehicle because there's nothing worse if, if that particular ailment does affect driving then you need then your insurance company needs to know and look more importantly your medical people will be able to tell you whether you can or you cannot drive we get a lot of questions on this in relation to people who have had strokes and heart attacks and various different ailments and illnesses that may affect their driving and they're not the people are not allowed to drive again until they have passed uh, the test with their doctor and their doctor is quite happy uh, whether it be eyesight which is another one and a, 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 a regular one we come across is a broken leg would you believe oh. and somebody trying to drive with a broken leg <laughs> yeah but well, that wouldn't be <laughs> that wouldn't be the best I know you have to think about it for a second yeah. common sense must prevail here please and very finally, uh, this is from someone on WhatsApp who's asking, uh, this person hasn't driven for 15 years and they've left their full licence lapse, so they never had any points or fines or anything like that. Uh, they realise, though, if they go back driving, they'll have to have a, and get a provisional licence again. Will the insurance be sky high for someone who is 57 years of age? Yes, unfortunately, is the answer to that. They need to talk to a broker. They need to find out what insurance companies, if any, maybe one, maybe two, will code for that person. 
we as insurance brokers would be saying to the insurer, look, they, they had the full license, they never had a problem, they left it lapse, uh, they're getting it back. Yes, they'll have to do a test, uh, but in the meantime, they're going to do it fairly rapidly. They're a good, they're a good driver. They're going to get a good car. Let's see. You know what I mean. We we would make we've done it. It's the ex- exact same. We find and and because it's topical, we better mention it now. If you're going to Canada, Australia, South Africa, even Great Britain, working, please keep your license renewed. Okay, and that's number one. Number two, if you're driving in those countries, please keep information, detailed information of your driving, so that it can all work in your favour when you hopefully return to Ireland and want to get a car insured. And when you mentioned the UK, is that due to Brexit? Are the rules changing? Yes, it is, because yeah. it is it is now a third country, Outside, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, no, we have... We have um, uh, agreements with the UK, as you know, about going uh, uh, Irish people going abroad with their car, and that's fine. They don't have the same agreements, would you believe, in reverse. So it's only for holidays. And I actually came across a case recently of somebody who was moving from the UK back to Ireland with their UK car, and they were told by their insurance company in the UK that the minute the car went on the ferry, all cover ceased. Oh. Okay, so that's, now, that's one to watch. In the opposite direction, I want to assure all our policyholders here listening today that is not what happens when you're going to the UK. You can take your car to the UK, no problem with your Irish license. Okay, as always, Paul, uh, some great information there. We thank you for that, and we'll chat to you again next month. That is Paul Kavner there joining us from McCarthy Insurance Group. Until one, it's Cork today. Uh, JP and for Patricia Bernie taking your comments, and if you have a question for Annalisa, a nutritional question, she'll be with us after twelve thirty. You can call Bernie now on oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three or text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. And shortly, we'll be hearing an update on the mental health unit at Bantry General Hospital. It appears that the final hour on Friday an appeal was put in, but what does that mean when it comes to the reduction of beds at uh, that mental health unit? We'll be discussing that very shortly, but just a number of comments in on what we were discussing earlier this morning, and first of all on the energy and the cost of living crisis, and we heard first of all how people attended the protest on Saturday and why people have done that and what they fear for the winter ahead, but uh, this is the one, and I saw this earlier on this morning as well, uh, George is in contact with us worried about Christmas as in the Christmas lights he feels that we'll have a dark Christmas and will we see any uh, lights up in towns and villages across Cork and indeed across the city well uh, looking at Dublin there are plans and this is just for Dublin at the moment uh, they are going to cut the amount of time Dublin City's Christmas lights go on as part of the cost of living crisis uh, seemingly Uh, The Environment Minister has said that councils are considering their approach to the festive decorations this year. Uh, This is again due to the energy prices going up. But a business group in the capital, uh, they're in charge of the lights. They have said that the spectacle is important to people, but uh, they are looking at reducing how long the Christmas lights will remain lit. Now, nothing decided here in Cork and it will be up to each individual town and what they want to do, uh, but nothing overall decided 
it. But if you look at Dublin, that's what they're doing. They're going to have to look at reducing how long uh, the lights will be on for. Maybe, for example, they might go off at 2am and just be switched on maybe at 7pm until 2am, which would mean they wouldn't be you know, on from when it gets dark around 4 or leaving them on overnight when there's less people walking around. That is nice to have them and people do like them at Christmas, but with the cost, is that what we will see this Christmas? We'll have to wait and see. Your views are welcome on that. Thank you, George. And text to 0862103103. I mentioned the plumbing, which gets underway in Rathaniska and Leash tomorrow. And there is someone in Kanturk wondering if there is any buses leaving Kanturk for the plowing in Leash tomorrow. If you know, let us know. We'll pass it on to that person. And Noreen is in Crookstown and she is going to the plowing tomorrow, but she wants to know, are children under 12 free? We have checked that out and yes, uh, children under the age of 12 are free, but they must be accompanied by a paying adult. So if a child is going in under the age of 12, uh, they must be accompanied by an adult. And obviously enough, that adult going in must pay and they can't go in on their own basically uh, so that is the message regarding children under 12 for Noreen in Crookstown from the ploughing and uh, this is from Mary in Buttevant and if you're in the Buttevant area you'll have seen this it has a lot of campaigning for the last number of years for this bus shelter uh, but the bus shelter has gone up in Buttevant and while people are happy with that Mary is asking why a second bus shelter was not put up um, now when you mean the second Mary I presume there's one on one side of the street is there's obviously not a, a bus shelter itself on the other side of the street and she's asking why that is uh, we'll have to check that out uh, also though on the new bus shelter which is welcomed in bus events and that has gone up uh, Mary is asking people when they are at the bus stop to take their coffee mugs and not leave them at the bus stop so Mary are you saying there's a build up of those uh, disposable coffee cups around that bus stop which is unfortunate and put them in the bin I suppose or if you can recycle recycle uh, them but uh, Mary thank you for that we'll have to find out about a second bus stop but at the moment after a long time of campaigning you have at least any have one bus stop in Bushevent Mary on text to 0862103103 and we're going to be hearing about that update from Bantry Hospital next The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county See corkcoco.ie Team Hope's Christmas Shoebox Appeal is about to launch nationwide and volunteers are needed to form a new team in Mallow to help check donated gift-filled shoeboxes in one of the new checking centres in Mallow. If you want more information or get involved, just go to teamhope.ie or you can call Theresa or Jonathan on 01294-0222. Canturk Community Council will hold an EGM that's taking place this evening at 8pm in the Adelquin Hall in Canturk. Anyone that is interested in getting involved and willing to promote the town of Kenturk is welcome to attend. An open meeting will be held on tomorrow, Tuesday, with a view to forming an access group in Mallow to identify and improve access to public buildings, footpaths and more for people with mobility issues. Uh, parents with buggies and older residents are welcome to attend. And Skullvera in Kenturk will hold their big fundraiser on this weekend, both Friday and indeed Saturday, to raise funds to upgrade their sporting facilities and changing rooms all support will be greatly appreciated there in Kenturk and Kilmichael Vintage and Harvest Festival will take place on Sunday the 2nd of October in the GAA grounds it's commencing at 1.30 and it promises to be a fun filled day for all the family Record today on C103 Call
Patricia with your comment. 0818 Calls are continuing to be made today on the HSE to invest in West Cork's only acute mental health unit in Bantry after the executive was instructed to reduce the number of patients who can be treated there by one third due to critical deficiencies in the building which houses the unit. This would mean that the number of patients who can be treated there would be cut from 18 to 11. Uh, now this unit is located on the campus of Bantry General Hospital. Now this seemingly was to go ahead unless an appeal was made and on the 11th hour on Friday evening an appeal was put in place and the Cork South West Deputy Independent Deputy Michael Collins and also Social Democrats Deputy Holly Carnes were told of this Friday evening. They both joined me uh, this afternoon. G- good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. Now, first of all, Michael, who put in this appeal? Was it from the HSC? And then what happens now with the unit? Well, the HSE has to have the appeal in today. Um, to, to Monday is the deadline uh, for the appeal to, to, to be lodged. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of worries and concerns that that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. Uh, you know, unfortunately, other places, uh, the situation has arisen that the appeals haven't been put forward. But um, after a lot of interactions, obviously between other deputies and myself, but uh, myself and the uh, HSE, I was told at uh, one o'clock on, on, on Friday that they would, but they asked me to hold off on it. Obviously, it had to get clearance from everyone in every section along the line that they would be appealing this decision uh, on Monday. Uh, the thing is, the appeal now means that uh, they will, uh, I suppose, the, the HSE and the Mental Health Commission will be appearing before the District Court um, uh, for, in, in relation to this appeal, but um, hopefully, and, and, and this was the hope that, that had been uh, expressed to me and here from the HSEs end of it, that they will have all, um, they'll, they'll, I suppose, commence uh, much of the work that needs to be done and hopefully by the time uh, the district court hearing will come up that the works have been completed and the Mental Health Commission would be happy with, um, with, with the outcome. The problem here, John Paul, is in 2019, the Mental Health Commission, after an inspection, found the Bantry Mental Health Unit was 88% compliant. In 2021, fast forward to two years later, they were back in and all the, they were still 88% compliant only and all previous recommendations had gone unheeded. So a lot of questions need to be answered here and unfortunately, well, well, we're happy to hear that there's, there's the appeal going ahead, but questions need answered. Um, these, these were costly uh, in, in, inspectorial um, r- reports and recommendations and nobody acted on them until... The, 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 the red alert button was pressed last last week um, when the Mental Health Commission said they closed um, seven of the, the rooms in, in the Bantry Mental Health Unit, which would have been an absolute disaster uh, for the people of West Cork. And you're saying if the HSC acted first time round, this news from last week would not have come out because they would have acted and dealt with the buildings uh, in question. Well, you see, the report made recommendations in 2019 uh, that went unheeded 2019, 2021, they made another report. That's gone unheeded. And, like, who who left uh, these reports go unheeded? Like, these are very, very, uh, you know, very important issues. And if you continue to ignore, we'll say, in this situation, the Mental Health Commission, they are going to come down strong on them. And they did come down strong on them. And there's other issues as well. It's not just the, the rooms and the multiple occupancy and, and the rooms. There's other issues too, but the other issues could be easily remedied, I've been told, but the, the, the rooms issues are the most important issues and obviously that's what uh, hit West Cork last week, the shock through the whole of West Cork when, when it was announced that we could lose seven seven uh, rooms there. So, uh, you know, it, it, well, okay, as I said, there's an appeal going ahead today, which is great. Still a lot of questions are left unanswered 
hard and uh, I presume Deputy Cairns was saying myself, try so hard with Minister Butler to ask me to get answers. And I wasn't getting answers. We were only getting it's like kicking the can down the road. No answers straight up. I thought, why were, uh, was the Banshee Mental Health Unit left in such a position that it, it could have lost seven uh, much needed beds there? And, and, and nobody is giving me the, the answers to these. Okay, and Holly Carnes, as I mentioned, is also on the line, the Corks of West Social Democrats deputy. Holly, would you agree with Michael there that, you know, reports were issued in 2019 and 2021, and if they were dealt with then, we wouldn't be in this situation? A hundred percent. I totally agree with Michael. And important to inform your listeners as well that now that the HSE have decided to appeal um, the decision of the Mental Health Commission, which is so welcome, in the interim, that could take up to two months before the district court would come to any kind of a conclusion. In the interim, those beds will remain open. And it also gives the HSC and the government um, a two month period where there's a desperate need for a plan. And so there is some work that, they com- that can commence now. Um, for example, there's staff on the ground floor of the mental health facility at the moment that will be moving into the primary care facility once the vaccination centre moves down to, you know, where Dr. Cotter's uh, practice previously was. Um, so then work can be done on the ground floor. But one of the commission's finding um, was that um, the, 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 the stairs from the first floor to the ground floor was one of the points um, that was kind of of risk to people. Um, and also that we needed the assessment unit to be moved closer to the main door, presumably to protect people's privacy and dignity when they're coming in for assessment. Um, so yeah, and more points of ligature that need to be removed. Um, there's issues with the one of the four beds and two of the three bed units. Um, so what it looks like they're talking about is that they'll improve it enough, the facility that exists, um, that maybe the reduction that the district court, this is what I'm kind of understanding or reading in between the lines, that the district court would say, look, we won't reduce it to 11 beds, but we won't keep it at 18. It sounds like that's the level of work that can be done by the HSE with what they have at the moment. So you but could still see really a position where happen, the beds could be lost? I think that what we're looking at is a situation where some works will be done to kind of quell the public disquiet, to alleviate the situation where we'd have a number of patients immediately with somewhere needing somewhere else to go. But what we need to make sure actually happens is that the 18 beds are kept. And what does that require? You know, it requires a new facility. And the reason, you know, like, for example, Michael said there, it's outrageous that the Commission had flagged these issues uh, with the four bedrooms in particular years ago. And um, there was warnings put in about that, as well as the um, areas for ligature. Um, but the, the reality is, JP, that Bantry Hospital is not the worst of the mental health facilities in the country. So we need to look at the bigger picture here and realise that mental health has always been the poor relation in the Department of Health. So this will play out in other areas across the country if the political will does not materialise. And what we have in other areas like uh, funding for older people is a multi-annual budget where we know we can build these facilities and improve them. That does not exist for mental health at the moment. So what we desperately need to be calling for is that there is commitment from the government, we have the budget coming up very soon, that they will commit to modern mental health services in Ireland. We desperately need that. And if we don't get that, we'll see these kind of minor works, a little bit of improvement to quell public disquiet, but not to address the issue, which is we need to provide proper mental health services in Ireland. We're an outlier in Europe in in relation to how we treat these services. And that absolutely has to change. Situations like this highlight that. Yeah, very true. what, what, What I'm seeing coming down the line is that the plan will be to do just enough, not what's needed. 
and that's not good enough. And I think, you know, we look at this from a budgetary perspective as well. Our government always see this as expenditure, expenditure, payouts, payouts. This is investment. That we never hear our government talking about investment in our country and our services and not just the better outcomes and the better quality of life and what we all want to have as a country like services for people experiencing mental health difficulties. It also makes budgetary sense because the cost of people struggling and needing long term care and all of these things, it, that, that costs the taxpayer too. So it's like a, a multi layered um, array of benefits here. We just need the political will. The HSE want to address this. They got legal advice. They decided to appeal it. We need the government to match that with multi-annual funding or else I have no confidence this issue will be properly addressed. And Michael, I'm sure you'd agree with Holly there that at the moment what you don't want is some works to go ahead uh, for this story to disappear. But then we realise maybe in a few weeks time that the beds are not going to go back up to 18. Absolutely. I have fierce concerns. Holly is right there. Um, uh, and I had lengthy discussions with the, the HSE on Friday. And the impression I'm getting is that we're looking at a sticky plaster solution here. Um, and, and that we, while uh, the Mental Health Commission, it may pass the line or it may pass the line before it gets to the district court. It may withdraw the, the, the decision to close in beds. We might end up with only 14 or 15 beds. That some of the smaller rooms might be knocked into a bigger room. And there'll be a lot of bids. It looks to me as if there's going to be no proper investment into the mental health unit in Bantry and probably hasn't been. And I would like to take uh, great praise, uh, give great praise to the staff and people that walked and worked very hard there and looked after people so well. And there's so many great stories, and I heard them last week in your radio show. But the bottom line is there's no proper um, uh, investment in infrastructure. We had Minister for Mental Health, Mary Butler, down. Uh, in the summer, and I'm pretty sure she walked past the door and went into the Bantry medical side of Bantry Hospital. We had the same with the teacher that was in Bantry Hospital two or three weeks previous to this announcement. And he's telling us he's going to build on services there. And then a couple of weeks later, we see where their intentions were. I mean, I'd love to know, did they know some of this, uh, that this was going to be revealed within a couple of weeks of their visit? Um, because to me, Bantry Hospital is Bantry Hospital, and there needs to be investment in the endoscopy unit, of course, and uh, the, 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 the stroke unit there. But there also needs to be investment in the mental health unit. And that hasn't happened. And this is where we've been left. And report after report has been telling them that. And I think they, I don't know, did they, did they hope that this report would just make another recommendation? They'd move to the 2023 for another. How many reports do you need to get? How many reports do you need to come before the HC, before the minister, that, that there's funding desperately need for the mental health unit in Bantry Hospital? And nobody's made a move on it. And nobody's hit roles. And do you think, Michael, they wanted it maybe to go this way, that it would be less funding needed for the health unit in Bantry if there was less beds? Well, it's a disaster if that's the the mindset that's within the HSE in relation to mental health issues. Because this covers a huge area from Kinsale up to the Mizzenhead and Castleton Bear and Tannikilty and Bannon. So many places in between. And people have been using their mental health service. And, you know, I mean, loads of people don't have been there themselves. And the good, the great treatment they got over there, and 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 you know, they rebuilt their lives as such. And this is, you know, mental health is sadly, you know, and and the proof to that is when your teacher and your your minister walks past the door, and that's what they have to do to get into the medical side of Bantry Hospital, and not walk in there. And mental health sometimes is brushed on, in under the carpet as if it's something to be ashamed of. It's not, and we need to invest in it. And now, like the, the wrongs have been uh, found out, so let's hope. We don't have a sticky path of solution that we have a proper solution where we need 18 beds. Mental health issues are increasing year by year and the medical experts are predicting by 2030, eight years from now, that mental health uh, problems will account for 13% of 
serious issue here. Eating beds is not enough. So there's no way we can even contemplate that 15 or 16 will be the solution here. We need a solution where at least the 18 beds that were there are back up and running in properly and the people are walking there are treated with the respect they deserve. And Holly, as we hear Michael Darrow lining, and you said as well the importance of mental health and we're, we're trying to get the beds back and stay at 18, uh, which they will at the moment, but you don't want any reduction uh, below 18. Is there any chance that they could increase the beds in the unit in Bantry uh, or is that something that will only be happening far down the line? There absolutely should be a chance of that because the Mental Health Commission have outlined that the facility is not up to scratch. It needs to be safer um, there needs to be less multi-occupancy rooms for it to be suitable. So if we're calling on the government to introduce multi-annual funding, then we need to make sure that we're providing enough beds um, for potentially rising populations going into the future um, to replace and refurbish existing facilities, but also to provide independent living in the area to really look into a modern vision of what you know integrated mental health into the community looks like. Um, if we're building a new unit, we need to look at what additional services we need as well. I don't think we should stop at we want the 18 beds. We want the necessary mental health services for our area, because when you talk about reducing it down to 15 or 14, like what's the solution there? Where did the people who need those beds go? We've got options like the um, facility in the Mercy, potentially people going to Carrigmore. Those facilities are not acute, so you'll have people moving out of acute care into other care for all of the wrong reasons. We know that those facilities, due to findings from the Mental Health Commission, are also going to be undergoing works. So they'll have reduced capacity during that time. It's actually not a feasible option to reduce the numbers of beds in the hospital. And I think that's why I highlighted it. My fear is that what they'll do is to try and kind of just uh, kind of appease us for now is reduce it by less than what the original proposal was of 18 to 11 and maybe do it to 14 or 15 or something like that. And yes, the general occupancy of the mental health facility at the moment is about 14 or 15, but that's the average. It's not the everyday. What happens when it's more than that or when it needs to be more than that and those beds aren't there? It's simply not an option. But instead of looking at just keeping it at 18 and we're demanding this funding, I think we should get it. You know, like I said, we're an outlier in Europe. It's high time the Irish government prioritised mental health. Um, we need to be aiming higher than that and we need to look at, you know, a kind of an integrated model. What would a modern facility look like? And we should be aiming for that. And what happens now, as we mentioned, it, it is the appeal. That will take a few months uh, and things will stay the same. Uh, following this, then you're, you're hopeful that everything will go to plan and stay the same. But, but there's no guarantee, is there, uh, on, until we get the final decision? No, and ultimately the HSC are in a position where they sought legal advice, see would they have a case. And that legal advice obviously was that they do have a case because they confirmed that they would be appealing the decision on Friday. But in order to say they have a case, of course, they have to give an example or give a promise of how they're going to improve yeah, the facility. And that's what we haven't seen, so I suppose, in the last few months. Yeah. So we need the government to guarantee that funding to make their appeal even viable, not to mention winnable. And like I said, the budget is coming up very soon, the end of the month. We need a proper push from, I mean, the opposition are already doing it, but from the general public as well, because I can assure your listeners that the way the government act is when they hear a lot from the public, because ultimately they're after votes. And if they think enough people will be, you know, up in arms about this, that tends to be when they act, unfortunately. It should be based on need in an area. The fact that we don't have any other mental health supports in West Cork, 
but unfortunately it's not. Yeah, so public, on... public pressure, a bit like the cost of living is what is needed. So uh, with this, uh, for the moment, I, I must move on. But thank you both for the update on that this afternoon. Uh, thank you, Holly Carnes, the Cork South and West Social Democrats thank deputy. You, thank you, Holly. And also Michael Collins, the Independent Deputy for Cork South West. Thank you, Michael. Uh, your comments are welcome on that. A lot of people reacting. Uh, the majority are coming in on WhatsApp, all the same, saying it is so important to retain all these places uh, for uh, mental health. For example, as you mentioned, the mental health unit in West Cork. Uh, well done to those who are raising this. So while Jimmy uh, saying, yes, I agree, it will take public pressure again. There has been protests before in Bantry and indeed in Mallow. They'll need more, like the cost of living, uh, to keep and retain services, especially to do with mental health, says Jimmy on text WhatsApp 0862103103 uh, Same number if you have questions for Annalisa she joins us next you can call Bernie with your questions on 0818103103 Court today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 0862103103 Annalisa Giselle joins us from the health store in Ballincollig for this week's nutritional slot. Hello and good afternoon to you, Annalisa. Good afternoon, John Paul. And first of all, before we get into questions, uh, healthcare for eyes is something that comes up a lot on the programme and you're running as an eye test uh, this week. That's right. We have a lady that comes in, Irina McSweeney. She has this wonderful machine that can assess the damage to the uh, the photosensitive cells at the back of the eye. They can be damaged like by blue light, by looking at screens. They can be damaged by diet. So it assesses the level of damage and then she'll provide nutritional information on how to improve the eye health. So it's €25 Euros, and if you want to come, ring the shop on 021-481-0110 and we'll book you in. Okay. Uh, now, into questions. Mary is in Charnival, Annalisa. And I spoke to Mary last week when she rang into the show and she suffers from restless legs, but she's really suffering with them. She got a tub of magnesium muscular from your shop and she's also taking a magnesium tablet on top of using the tub. Uh, but it's so bad with the restless legs. She goes to bed at 11pm and then she's up again around 2am and she's pushing her legs in cold water to get relief. Now, she is on Merapixton from her own doctor, but no matter what she does, nothing seems to be working for her. Well, unfortunately, like that, the one I know the one that we have, it's called Nature's uh, Nutri Advanced Mega Mag Muscle Ease, and it's got everything in there that you need to support muscle function and the nerve function to the muscle. So, if that doesn't work, I would say that magnesium is not going to work at all. Um, if she's ruled out iron deficiency and B12 and folate deficiency from her doctor and none of those help, then maybe the next step is to ask the doctor for a quinine tablet because that can help. Uh, sometimes it's a side effect of me- uh, menopause, so maybe taking HRT could help. But I think at this point she's definitely going to have to go down the medical route. Now, one of my customers had a very, very, what you would think is kind of obvious um, solution and um, she actually what she does is she does a lot of hamstring and leg stretches before she gets into bed at night and she finds that that is the best thing that worked for her more so than the magnesium etc so she could try that as well okay hopefully that helps you mary there in Charnival. and phil wants to know annalisa what would you recommend for a frozen shoulder so frozen shoulder is a very difficult one. There's nothing actually that you can take to unfreeze the shoulder. Really, you need, you need to go for um, physical therapy. 
So there's some very, very good physical therapists in Cork and I know a couple of my friends and family have had great relief. So if somebody wants the name, I can highly recommend Frida Devoren and Toker. Um, and really that's the only solution for frozen soldier. You could use um, ice packs or heat packs to relieve the pain. But other than that, really, there is nothing much else that you could take. Okay, and Mary is suffering a low mood at the moment. Now, she's having had a blood test and it shows that she is deficient in vitamin D. Now, could this be causing her mood swings? And what should she take to remedy this? She is taking methotrexate for rheumatoid arthritis. If you can advise Mary on her low mood. Well, when you take methotrexate, you do have to take folic acid with it because it hugely depletes you in folate. So a B-complex would have that in there and she would be instructed um, by her doctor as well. She'd be instructed to take that. But I always think it's better to take these things as a B-complex. And vitamin B5 is probably one of the best ones for mood. So um, she could maybe try that, but it may be nothing to do with the B deficiency, a mood, you know, maybe it could be something else. So sometimes things like L-theanine, um, ashwagandha is very good if you're stressed. L-theanine is very good for an instant sort of feeling, feeling focused and calm. So that might help as well. Uh, so if she doesn't get any benefit from a B complex that's high in B5, she could try those other things. Okay, and uh, Katrina, now this is thing with the vitamins. Katrina wants to know, is there any vitamins out there for male teenage hormones? Uh, This is for a teenager in her house to try and improve their mood. Uh, Any advice for Katrina? So for Katrina, actually, probably one of the best things is um, for the female hormone coming up to your period is vitamin B6. And there's a great supplement called P5P, which is a combination of a high dose of vitamin B6 and magnesium. And that is probably one of the better things for hormone imbalance, low mood. But there's another great one as well by a company called NHP called PM Support. That would be worth trying too. Okay, hopefully that works there for Katrina, uh, for her son. And uh, Nora then is in touch. Now, Nora is in her mid-50s and she's asking Annalisa if you've any advice for hair loss. Uh, She has tried a number of various products over the last number of months. So their hair vitamins was one of them. Um, The Nordac Natural Omega Oil was another one she used. She hasn't seen any difference yet. Uh, She's also heard that ginger is good for the hair. Can Annalisa recommend anything for her so uh that's a difficult one now i suppose john paul really there's a number of different reasons for hair loss and actually the covid getting covid i we've seen a lot of people with hair loss after covid or after the vaccine as well so maybe it's something to do with that a lot of people who've got um very run down or who've been very sick will tend to lose hair as well and it also can be hormonal so it can be part of menopause a lot of women after pregnancy will notice thinning hair so if it's any of those possible reasons it's important to kind of deal at the root of the problem as opposed to just with the hair i mean we find here that the biotin is best for hair quality and then the norcrin n-o-u-r-k-r-i-n is it that's best if your hair is falling out and not growing back so basically you can see it thinning on your scalp that's probably the best for that um and you know sometimes you can try all the different hair supplements and have no luck maybe at that point it's worth making an appointment with a doctor there is a medical product you can get it's called i think it's called either regain r-e-g-a-i-n-e or rogain r-o-g-a-i-n-e but it's available on prescription and that can be used as well
And Kevin on WhatsApp, Annalisa, now he's having a busy life at the moment. Uh, he says his workplace is extremely busy at this time of the year, but they have a newborn in the house. So uh, Kevin basically is up every morning, bright and early, and sleep is a challenge, he says, at night time. Uh, but he wants to know what he can do uh, to get himself back on track energy-wise. He's had his blood tested and everything is okay, B12 and everything is fine, but he reckons with the workplace being so busy and obviously uh, no, uh, you know, early mornings and no proper sleep at night time is the main reason so if someone is in that situation with a young baby in the house and you have a busy work uh, life as well what would you advise for Kevin is there something he can take yeah so really what you're just doing is it's lifestyle related there that problem so what I would suggest is taking the source of life gold for work that'll there's a bit of ginseng in that so that will give you a good energy even if you haven't had a good night's sleep and then if your work is very busy people often think that stress is all about mental stress but actually physical stress is a big cause of stress as well and we love ashwagandha for that uh, we have a lovely product here called Stress Vida S-T-R-E-S-S-V-E-D-A and what it does is it actually it does for a lot of people if they get stress related anxiety it works for that but it does help to increase your ability to cope with stress so you can you can effectively take more on and manage it more effectively so I do the combination of that until the sleep pattern gets better because unfortunately when you just when you haven't got enough sleep, you are tired, and the only thing you can do is perk yourself up with ginseng. Well, hopefully that helps, Kevin, and that I'm sure a lot more like him. Uh, Jonathan Mallow, he has been diagnosed with cellulitis. He wants to know what's the best thing to use for this. Um, he also uh, has heart conditions over the last while. So any advice for John in Mallow? Okay, uh, sorry, John. Uh, sorry, John Paul. Could you repeat that? Yeah, it's it's he's been diagnosed recently with cellulitis, cellulitis. and he wants to know what's the best thing that he can use for this or treat it uh, while he has also a heart condition. Yeah, cellulitis is a difficult one, John Paul. What happens with cellulitis often is that a bacteria that lives on the skin, for most people, harmlessly gets into the bloodstream, and the danger is that it causes blood poisoning, septicemia. So it is actually very dangerous, and generally the treatment is a huge amount of antibiotics. So I would always recommend a probiotic after being treated for cellulitis, just to get the good bacteria back in there, and you'd be surprised how much they, how much better you will feel once you've taken a, a month of probiotics. Um, in terms of heart medication, it's a blood thinning tablet. You need to be careful um, with taking things. The Source of Life Gold is a great. Um, energy improver and that would be safe even with the blood thinner what you really need to be careful of is something with a very high dose of coenzyme q10 um, and um, if you're not on a blood thinner the oxalent is a good alternative to the source of life goal just to build up your strength again but if you're on the blood thinner it's quite high in q10 so not suitable and Liz wants to know if she takes vitamins, zinc and oranges, is there any harm in combining those because she's on blood pressure tablets at the moment? No, absolutely no. And I'm, zinc is one of my favourite ones, actually, John Paul, coming into the winter time. And I was just thinking about that lady with the thinning hair as well. And this is my very, very loose theory about COVID and possibly why COVID is, related, is, is causing hair loss. So zinc is a hugely important vitamin for the immune system. And I think that after COVID, I think hair loss and I think smell and taste loss is down to a zinc deficiency. So I think it's no harm to take a low dose of vitamin zinc, uh, vi- sorry, a low dose of zinc every day 
in the winter time with the vitamin C and D just to keep your immune system boosted it definitely would help you fight off coughs, colds and other viruses much easier and I think it probably has got some part to play in, in, in post-COVID symptoms as well. And very finally Shane is waking up some mornings with blood in his stools. Now he's had treatment before for bowel problems uh, he wants to know is there something you can take for that? Okay, so that is always a red flag, John Paul, blood in the stool. So the first thing really he needs to do is he does need to go and speak with his doctor and get a colonoscopy organised. Now, it may be very simple. If it's not happening on a regular basis, it could be just that you have a hemorrhoid that has burst and maybe a little bit of blood is coming from that. So if you've hemorrhoids, the main thing to do is to make sure that you're not constipated and straining because that puts more pressure on those blood vessels and causes bigger hemorrhoids. So make sure that you're having a daily bowel movement. Taking a probiotic can help. Or taking psyllium husk can help. And we have a lovely one here that works really, really well. It's nutri-advanced and it's called motility complex. So that's very good to ensure you have a daily gentle bowel movement, well-formed and easy to pass. The other thing then would be the Dr. Claire Pile Cream. So it's actually called Witch Hazel Cream. It's not called Pile Cream, but it's brilliant. We sell a lot of that. It's very successful. So if it's piles, it's not a problem and that will take care of that. But otherwise, it means that there's a little bleed up somewhere else. So you just need to make sure that there's no, with a colonoscopy, that there's no ulceration or that there's no damage to the colon because if there's a burst, it can end up being very nasty. Um, And then depending on reasons why, you know, if there's an inflammatory disorder or if it's food intolerance or if it's created by a bacteria you've picked up or a bug on holidays, it's important to get that sorted and you'd need a nutritional therapist to help you with that. Okay, Annalisa, well, thank you for your advice and we'll chat to you again next week. Annalisa Giselle joining us from the Health Hub in Ballincollig. That's just across the way from the cinema in Ballincollig. You can check out everything she said on the healthhubstore.com or you can listen back on the podcast section of c103.ie at c103. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.